Good morning. We have two readings today. The first comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and that can be found on page 663 of the Blue Bibles. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water grooves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun." Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their head while the fool walks in the darkness. But, when I, but I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the the wise too must die. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I have toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether the person will be wise or foolish. Yet, they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. 
This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And if you're following in the Blue Bibles, the second reading is from Colossians on page 1184, starting at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eyes is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven." Well, thanks so much, Leah. Thanks for reading such a long and miserable passage like Ecclesiastes so well. Um, good morning, my name's Cam Maxwell and I'm one of the staff here and I hope our morning together isn't long and miserable. Um, this morning and for the next two weeks, we're taking a break from our sort of normal habit of preaching through uh, sections of the Bible like we've done over the last ten weeks, looking at the first five chapters of Revelation. Uh, what we're doing instead for this morning and the next two weeks Uh, is focusing on three different and important topics. Uh, This morning, the topic we're going to consider is what does the Bible have to say about work? Um, I realise, of course, there's something a bit ironic about uh, doing this topic over a long weekend at the start of school holidays. Uh, But it seems to me you could be a Christian for many years and uh, never hear a sermon about work. If you're new or sort of checking us out for the first time, it's worth knowing that uh, we are convinced that following Jesus is an all-of-life kind of thing. It's not one day a week, I'm a Christian, the rest of life um, doesn't really affect me. No, no. Uh, as a church, we're convinced that Jesus affects every part of our life, every decision, uh, every way we spend our time, every desire. Jesus changes everything. And so it would be weird, wouldn't it, uh, if we never really spoke much about work, I think it'd be very unhelpful. After all, we spend a lot of time and energy uh, in our work. And so if Jesus changes everything, how do Christians work? What is work? Do Christians work differently to non-Christians? Should we think about it that much or just get on with it? Now, I just want to clarify before we get into it today that as I'm talking about work, I'll, I'm talking not just about paid employment. That's included, of course, but... Uh, I mean, being a student, that's work. Being a parent or raising kids, that's definitely work. Volunteering, helping others, that's work. So I want to start with a very broad definition of work, be it paid or unpaid. Uh, we work when we use our time and energy and our creativity to make ourselves useful, to learn and to create. Uh, the reason I think that definition is helpful is because it, well, it applies to all of us, doesn't it? No matter what stage of life we're in. Uh, so as we dive in, uh, in your leaflet you'll find a, a, an outline of where we're heading. Basically, all I'm doing today is making three basic points about work, and we'll look at Scripture to see where these points come from, and then uh, consider some of the implications of these, uh, these big ideas. 
Uh, I should also say as we start, the Bible has far more to say about the topic of work than I possibly can in one sermon. Uh, so please make use of the SMS line if you have questions. Uh, and there's some resources I've recommended at the bottom of the outline as well, some excellent books to read uh, to consider work further. But the first point I want to make this morning is that work is good. Uh, work is good because God is a worker. Uh, now, when we come to any topic, any theme, uh, the best place to start is always with, what do we know of God? Because what we know of God will shape what we know about ourselves and about the world around us. So, as we're thinking about work, well, we first need to see that God works. To do that, uh, please turn with me, uh, grab your Bibles again, and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we'll have this on the screen as well, but have a look at Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, uh, from verse 31. Genesis 1, 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So that's just a summary of chapter 1, where God has made everything. Chapter 2 goes, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the, the what? The work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Okay, it's, it's kind of hard to miss the point here, isn't it? God works. What that means is that if God works, work in and of itself can't be a bad thing. But I think the bigger point to make here is that um, work is good because of how humans join in with God's good work. Uh, when you consider um, how God created the, way, the world, I think it's quite incredible that He didn't kind of finish it completely. It's very good, but it's not finished. That is, God didn't really kind of put the icing on the cake when He created. Uh, what I mean by that is He left a lot of um, untidy parts of the world, wild parts, unlivable parts of our planet. And to put the icing on the cake, well, that's why God made us. Have a look at Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26. Again, we'll have this on the screen, but 1.26. God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that, well, why? So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Over everything, right? And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. All over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the grounds. So, God made us to be workers. He made us to fill the earth and then to rule over creation and to subdue creation. That is, to, to tame it to make it livable, to rule over it on God's behalf. And so we get to carry on with God's plans for creation, I guess, to finish off the project by working. I think that's amazing. I think in Genesis 2, we see how this is supposed to work. Have a look at verse 8 in Genesis 2. Uh, what God does is He plants a garden, the Garden of Eden. Now, if you think about it, a garden is creation that has been subdued. It's been tamed. A garden is a place that's livable. It's not wild jungle. A garden is a place where there is order. 
Garden of Eden is productive. There's fruit trees. And a garden is beautiful. That's kind of what a garden is. In the Garden of Eden as well, there is, there is peace because God is there. And so, a garden is a place where there's peace and order and beauty and productivity. That's the garden that God plants. And what does God do then? Well, verse 15 of chapter 2. Have a look at verse 15. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it. Turns out, God isn't going to do the gardening himself. He's going to do the gardening through us. See, God could have made the entire world as one beautiful garden, everything's perfectly in its place, all done. Instead, he gives that work to do to us, to humans. And so our work is was supposed to be to spread the Garden of Eden throughout the world, to make the whole earth a garden, productive, peaceful, beautiful, livable, orderly. That sort of work is good, because we're joining in with God's plans for creation. And so work is really good when it brings order to chaos, from chaos. Our work is good when it contributes to the beauty or richness of creation. Our work is good when it brings peace, when it brings right relationships within creation. Work is not just what we do to survive. Think about the way that you spend your time and your energy uh, and the way that you find satisfaction in your work. What is satisfying when you work? I think it's the thing that fits in with God's plans for creation. Let me give you an example. Um, I think having a clean room, clean bedroom, is satisfying. You've brought order out of chaos. When you do the gardening, there's, there's satisfaction, is there? Is you see creation subdued and there is beauty. A scientist, they find satisfaction when they learn about the universe and how it's created. They learn how creation works. I think an engineer finds satisfaction as they use materials and structures and ideas to make creation livable and orderly. Musicians and artists find satisfaction as they contribute to the richness and beauty of our lives. I think teachers find satisfaction as they help others learn about the creation we live in, as they prepare them to work in the creation. I think parents find satisfaction as they see their children grow to be workers. Now, it could go on, right? There's many ways that work brings satisfaction, but it's worth thinking about your own work. However you use your time and energy... Like, how is it that what you're doing is contributing to God's plans for the world? So God has given us the gift of good work, of doing His work, actually to partner with Him. When you think about it, it's, it's a huge privilege that God is working through us. He is partic- we are participating in His creating work. I think what this means is that uh, there's a flip side. I think it's one of the reasons that unemployment can be so hard. When someone's denied the opportunity to participate in meaningful work, it, it cuts against who we are made to be. So it's very hard. There is great dignity as well that comes with being a worker. It's dig- a dignified thing uh, for us to work. I think what this means is that we will need to keep being very careful of seeing all work as valuable because it, it's God's work, not because it's our work. What I mean by that is that uh, we live in a culture where um, some work is seen as really special, and so some workers 
are special people. Uh, for instance, I think uh, our culture holds a special place for people like doctors and lawyers. On the other hand, well, who wants to see their child grow up and be a toilet cleaner? It's not given the same dignity or honour, is it? But all work is dignified. All work is valuable, not because of us or what we're doing or the job itself, but because it's God's work. So Martin Luther, uh, the German monk who sparked the Reformation, um, he was really upset by many things. Uh, One was that the Roman Catholic Church uh, had been treating workers uh, quite poorly. Uh, the way they had been teaching was saying that uh, there are some people who are special. They have these jobs. They're the monks, the priests, the nuns. They're special people. All the rest of you, farmers, teachers, you just have to do your jobs. You're not special at all. Uh, Luther wrote to correct this view. This should come up on the screen behind me. For God will be working all things through you. He'll be milking the cows through you. And will be performing the most menial duties through you. And all duties, from the greatest to the least, will be pleasing to him. Isn't that a wonderful way of putting it? As we wash the dishes, God is washing the dishes through us. And it's pleasing to him. It's the work he has made us to do. And so if doing God's work is good, even washing the dishes, we need to see the dignity and value in all work and all workers. We can't treat or think about some people less because of the work they do. I think this happens all the time. Uh, I think what can happen is that many people will think too little of their own work and so too little of themselves and sort of apologise that they're they're not doing more or not having a a more uh, meaningful job. I I think a great example of this is those who are raising children full-time. They're often struggling this, this feeling or the message that their work is somehow less valuable than having a career doing something else. It's because our culture is structured in such a way to make us think that. We need to keep fighting against that. God is doing His work through the most menial jobs. For others, uh, especially those who have jobs that our culture values highly, so doctors, the lawyers, teachers, uh, the risk is thinking of ourselves too highly because of our jobs. And so we think, yeah, we're pretty good. Like, we're important. Actually, no. It's not our jobs that make us important in God's eyes. We simply participate in God's work as He carries out His plans for creation. So, work is good. That's our first point. Work is good because God is a worker. But there's a problem, isn't there? We all know work sucks. It's terrible. Which I think leads us to our second idea. Work is not that good because we reject God, the Creator. Uh, In Genesis chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve become convinced that it's better if they, and not God, it's better if they make decisions about right and wrong. And so Adam and Eve, they reject God's rule over them and they sin. In chapter 3, verse 17, we sort of see the consequences of this. This is God speaking to Adam. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat from it all the days of your lives. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, 
It says, from what you were taken, from dust you are, to dust you will return. See, we were supposed to rule creation under God's rule. Uh, but when we reject God, we reject His rule, it distorts everything. That relationship gets distorted and every other part of our existence gets distorted as well. Which means creation doesn't play along the way we think it should. There are thorns and thistles that makes work difficult, frustrating, sometimes futile. Computers crash just before you press save. Students don't do their homework. For many people, work is actually, it's oppressive. It's dehumanising. Think of the sweatshops or those in slave labour working in terrible conditions with mind-numbing jobs that uh, destroys their humanity. I'm sure all of us know something of uh, the trials and frustrations of work. So, on the one hand, work is supposed to be good because it's God's work, but on the other hand, work sucks. There's this this sort of tension. And I think that's basically what we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, the first passage that Leah read. Uh, It'd be good to turn to Ecclesiastes. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time just looking at that chapter again. Uh, It's on page 663. Uh, We won't read the whole chapter again, don't worry. But um, just a very brief summary. From verse 4 onwards, we see someone who's giving us their their CV, their their resume. They've had an incredible career. From verse 4 onwards, they outline how they've uh, managed projects, they've built things, they've planted uh, vineyards and orchards. They have gardens, they manage a whole workforce, they have livestock, they manage their finances wisely, they're a patron of the arts, they're wise, they're famous, they're rich, they're successful. That sounds pretty good. You'd think that's a career that people should aspire to, right? You'd think that would be fulfilling. Have a look at verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused no heart, my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. After the most productive and fulfilling career that brought fame and money and power, the guy who wrote this sort of steps back and says, well, that was a waste of time. None of those things have really satisfied me. They haven't really brought joy or sort of anything that lasts. There's no contentment. I think they give the reason why that is uh, in verse 17. Verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done on the sun was grievous to me. All of its meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. How depressing is that thought? Every amazing thing this person has achieved, it doesn't last. They realize they're going to die, actually. And to make it perhaps even worse, the person who's going to take on all their work, they're probably going to stuff it all up. Considering our own death, I think it does wonders for our sense of perspective, doesn't it? It's worth kind of just pausing, considering, like, how does this perspective from Ecclesiastes, how, how does that help us think about our own work? Well, teachers, I know there's a number of you here today. I hate to say it, teachers, but all your hard work this term, 
it's hardly going to survive in the mind of your students past holidays, actually. Uh, Perhaps a year from now, some of them will remember some of the profound life lessons you've worked so hard to teach them. About five years from now, will they still remember it? I remember, you know, I remember going to Year 9 English. don't remember learning much. I mean, I'm sure I did. But I'm going to die one day anyway and take it all with me. Sorry, teachers. Doctors. Uh, I'm sure you know this if you're a doctor. Your patients will all die. Hopefully not because you're their doctor. Uh, Hopefully you kind of keep them alive a bit longer. But you know, don't you? No matter all your excellent work, everyone dies. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? It's pretty depressing if you looked at your life uh, through that lens all the time. And if that was all there was to say. Well, uh, there is more to say, actually. Uh, Have a look at verse 24. There is, I think, good news. Even though the results of our work don't last, there is good news, sort of. Have a look at verse 24 of chapter 2. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? I think what he's saying here is that in the work itself, in the work itself, we can find satisfaction. Not so much the results of our work, necessarily. Those things don't last. The dishes we'll need doing again. But we can find satisfaction in doing our work because God allows us to. After all, God is working as we do His work. I think what Ecclesiastes does in its really depressing way is ask us, well, why do you work? What are your motivations? Among other things, I think uh, this exposes, I think, pride. Working to impress people, I think that's a terrible motivation to work. But isn't pride so often why we work the longer hours to impress the boss or you know, for the promotion with a cooler sounding job title? Perhaps for some, pride is why you've chosen the career you have. Um, for myself, I, I finished uni. And uh, my first job out of uni was working in a brick factory, uh, which was every bit as glamorous as it sounds. A very dirty place, a brick factory. Uh, As it turns out, uh, not many people are interested in bricks. It's apparently not the most uh, glamorous of products to be making. So when I would meet people, and of course they ask you, what do you do? Before I would tell them I worked at a brick factory, I'd always start by saying, well, I'm an engineer. Oh, and I work at a brick factory. And I'd try and explain how cool bricks are, but it never really worked. Now, it's true, I was an engineer, but the reason I'd tell them that in that order, I think, to be honest, I just wanted them to think I was important. Like, somehow, being an engineer makes me a more important person than the cleaner at the brick factory. Well, the guys who are actually making the bricks. It's pride. I think a moment that made me realise how much pride was... uh, wrapping up into my work and my own identity was when I finished up working at the factory. I um, went off to do a ministry apprenticeship. Um, And my role there, actually, it came with a company car. I had a a pretty good company car for a while. Um, The cars weren't amazing, but they were far better than my 1994 Ford Laser, which had seen quite a few kilometres. So my my Laser had been sitting around while I was driving my my company car for a few years, and when I handed the keys back to my company car, sort of downgraded quite a lot. 
got back into the forward laser, and to be honest, it was humbling. I'm not sure if you've done that, if you've taken a backward step in the kind of car you drive, but I was kind of, I felt embarrassed somehow, being seen driving this car. I was very happy to drive uh, as a uni student. It's kind of embarrassing because I was one of the commoners again. I was no longer a fancy person. My pride, my, my job title, my car, they were meaningless. So chasing after the wind. So if pride is a terrible motivator to work, well, money, how about money? Well, I think money is a dangerous motivator to work. Of course, uh, we need to eat and it is appropriate to be paid. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica saying, if you don't work, you probably shouldn't eat. That's a pretty good life principle, right? It's good to work and receive money, to support our families, to be generous to others, to those in need. But Paul also tells us, and Jesus warns us numbers of times, watch out for greed. Look out. Because the greedy person won't inherit the kingdom of God. Greed is dangerous. It's perhaps the most dangerous temptation we'll face in a place like Colonel Light Gardens. We need to be very careful. Which means we need to keep checking our motivation. Why am I going to work? Don't let the paycheck own us. Don't serve money because we can't serve two masters. So far we've seen work is good. We can and we should find satisfaction in our work, but it's not that good. Mostly because we've rejected God, our Creator. So there's a tension, isn't there? The tension we've seen in Ecclesiastes is that most of us feel we know work's good, we know that it's frustrating and unfulfilling, but maybe that's as far as our, tension, as, our, as, far as our thinking goes sometimes. We just think, oh, that's kind of just reality. Work's sometimes good, sometimes bad, just get on with it. The Bible, though, doesn't leave the topic of work there. Uh, we need to consider how Jesus shapes our understanding of work. Which leads us to our third point. I think... We need to rethink work because God is a worker who saves. So far, as we've spoken about God's work, we've spoken about God's work as creator. But when Jesus, God the Son, entered into history, we see that God's primary work, His best work, is the work of salvation. That's why Jesus came, to save sinners. He came to gather a people to himself, to be our king, to be our Lord. And what we see about Jesus is that these two types of work, if I can put it that way, there's the work of creation and the work of salvation, both of these types of work are done by Jesus and they're for Jesus. Uh, to see what I mean, uh, turn with me please to Colossians chapter 1. Again, we'll have this on the screen in a second, but uh, Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 is on page 1182. Colossians 1. I just want us to uh, look at verse 16. From verse 16, here uh, Paul is talking about Jesus. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones and powers or rules or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That is, the work of creation, it's all for Jesus. I skip down now to verse 18. 
Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Now, he goes on, uh, but at this point, he's talking now about the work of salvation. Skip down to verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So all things are reconciled by Jesus. He is the head of the church. That's what the work of salvation is. Jesus reconciles sinners. He brings them to God the Father. He gathers us into his church. He rules over us. That's the work of salvation, the work of mission. The work of building the church, of growing to maturity. The work of serving one another. That's Jesus' salvation work. Now, how does that affect our work? Well, just as we've talked about God inviting us to participate in His works in creation, in the same way, He invites us to participate in His works in salvation. Jesus gets us to join His work in salvation, sharing the good news. We get to gather people into His church. We work together, working to grow to maturity in Christ. We do the work of serving one another, loving one another. Now, this is not just the work for some people. Again, Martin Luther was very upset that uh, the idea was that this is the work for priests and for nuns and for monks. No, no, no. If we are followers of Jesus, we are all tasked with both the work of creation and the work of salvation. So how does it affect our work? I think the first thing to say is that if Jesus is our Lord, our boss, uh, the first thing to say is it changes how we work. Uh, after writing about Jesus being the Lord of all things in chapter 1, later in Colossians, in chapter 3, uh, the chapter we read a bit, bit of earlier, um, this will be again on the screen, please turn to Colossians 3. Uh, Paul explains how we work. I should point out here that uh, slaves uh, are not what we, uh, we shouldn't be thinking of, sort of the American slave trade, the Roman sort of slavery system was a bit different. Um, often slavery was voluntary, people would enter into it as a way of uh, earning, their, earning their keep. Um, some, of the, some slaves were police, some were doctors, um, so it's a bit different to our kind of modern idea of employment, but it's similar. Okay, so, because Jesus is Lord, whether we're working for the government or working for a Bible college, from verse 22, chapter 3, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, if we're not motivated by money, if we're not motivated by pride or trying to please other people, we're motivated by serving the Lord Jesus, the Lord who died for us. Doesn't that change entirely how we think about work? If we're serving Jesus, well, of course we work hard. Of course we do it with all our heart, not just you know, doing the bare minimum. Of course we work with integrity. We do the right things even when no one's around. Sometimes uh, that'll impress our bosses because we're hard workers, we're in, we have integrity, we're diligent. 
Sometimes, though, because Jesus is Lord, it will mean disappointing our boss. We might refuse to sort of fudge the numbers a bit this month to get the new contract the company needs. We might refuse to do the extra overtime so we can spend it with our family and and come to church. Sometimes, though, it will mean that um, we just won't fit in very well to our workplace as we kind of resist the temptation to join in with the gossip or the nasty politics because Jesus is Lord. We're serving Him. Notice as well that as we work for Jesus, we're promised something that's far better than money. We're promised an inheritance, an eternal reward. That means whether we're paid or not, whether we're being seen by anyone as we do our work or not, we work hard. We work hard, we put in our best effort because it's not about money and because it's not about pride, but because it's about Jesus. The final question today, and uh, perhaps uh, the most important question for all of us to go away and uh, keep thinking about, of those two types of work, the work of creation and work of salvation, which types of work should we be investing our time and energy into? That is, we have limited time, we have limited energy. We are all supposed to be involved in the work of creation and the work of salvation. So how do we work our time out? How do we allocate our time and energy to those two types of work? What do we do? Well, a few things to say. One is that both those types of work are valuable. They are both valuable. Work of creation has value in... But it's a value that's really for this life. The work of creation, doing the work of creation, it's good, it's just temporary. That's not a bad thing. We happen to live in the temporary, so it's good to do things that have value now. But the work of salvation, well, that has a value that is is far longer lasting, isn't it? The work of salvation lasts into eternity. I think what this means is that we need to be very careful not to divide those two types of work. That is, we, don't, we can't get into the habit of just doing salvation work on a Sunday and you know, the rest of the work during the week. No, no, as we go about the, our works of creation, as we're washing dishes, as we're filling out spreadsheets, as we're doing our day jobs, we're also seeking to do the work of salvation. We're looking for those opportunities to share the good news at the workplace. Or we're being intentional as we raise our kids, making the most of time we have with them so that they might know Jesus. As we're washing dishes, we could be listening to sermons or uh, listening to the Bible on audio. We can't hold those two types of work too far apart because, well, both of them are serving the same boss, Jesus. I think the other thing is that each of us will need to keep questioning if we're putting our time and energy into the right places. That is, uh, considering our station in life, considering uh, the value, the need for creation work and the value and the need for salvation work. It may be sometimes that we're too busy to do the work of salvation. I think if that's the case, then it's fair to say you're too busy. How should we spend our time? That'll be a a different answer for each of us. Each of us have different situations. We need Sometimes to provide for our families or we need to consider 
the skills and the gifts and the experiences that God has given us as we consider how we can make the most of them. When you consider the opportunities that lie before us as we think about the works of creation, the works of salvation, how can we, how can we make the most of the time God has given us? Now, you can answer this question in all sorts of ways, so I'd encourage you to go away and keep thinking about these things. It may be as simple as restructuring your week a little bit so that you give yourself every chance possible to get to community groups. Uh, it may be that as you see people like Nigel and Rose, who are um, our CMS Link missionaries, um, they're people with normal jobs, creation jobs, doctor and a nurse. But Nigel and Rose, they've intentionally taken their creation work to a place where they think they can maximise the amount of salvation work they do as well. They made a deliberate, strategic decision for the sake of salvation work. Perhaps some of you could do the same. But at the very least, we should all be asking, well, what's stopping me from doing that? It may be that uh, some of you, and I know some of you have done this, it may be taking some time off of your own work, um, perhaps a day, a week less, or a year off, or something like that, um, to study, to study at the Bible College of South Australia, to be better equipped to handle God's Word, to be better equipped to share the good news, to be better equipped to do salvation work. Maybe you want to find more ways to be involved in building the church here, to find new ways to serve. There's always more we can do. Uh, We can make sure that happens. Uh, Back when I was working in the brick factory, I enjoyed my work. I do have a passion now for bricks. Um, You can ask me about that later if you really want to. Um, I saw the value in my work. It was good work. People need houses to live in, of course. And to be honest, if anything is going to last into eternity, a brick will go pretty close, I would have thought. But as I thought about the way that God had made me and the experiences He'd given me with ministry, as I realized that I have limited time and that I had the opportunity to go and do something like a ministry apprenticeship, I didn't have uh, family to feed at that time. It was a very easy decision for me to make. Uh, a very easy decision to go and explore doing full time gospel work because, well, there is a desperate need. There's a desperate need for more workers in the harvest field. Millions of Australians don't know Jesus. Millions and millions of Australians don't have a clue of the eternal danger that they're in. I thought to myself, well, yeah, I could, I could do that work uh, as I'm making bricks, but if I could have 40 or 50 or 60 hours of my working week Uh, to throw myself at doing what I can to see some of those Australians meeting Jesus. Not just when I retire, but now, the best working years of my life. Well, it was an easy decision. It'll look different for all of us. Uh, Not all of of us will um, end up working for a church like I am. But I think uh, it's the right thing for us to do, to pray. Uh, Pray that as we go out, God be with us as we work wisely doing the work he has set before us. So please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made us to work. Thank you for the great and extraordinary privilege it is to share in the work that you're doing. Thank you for showing us your plans to bring all things under the rule of Jesus, all of creation, every person. 
And so, Lord, please help us. Please help us be wise and humble. Please help us to serve you with every part of our lives, especially in our work, whatever that looks like. Please help us be faithful stewards of the time and energy and creativity that you've given us so that we might bring your Son, Jesus, all the glory and honour. Amen.